Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates, ready to go. Outkick 360 is back as we broadcast live from the 6th and Peabody Studios. Yeehaw beer, old smoky moonshine. The crew is all here. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Big show planned today. Armando Salguero, Outkick senior NFL writer, joins us. It's in about an hour and a half from now. We look forward to that. Trey Wallace, SEC writer for Outkick.com with us in about 20 minutes. And then the Tennessee Power Hour will be jam-packed with a Titans-Colts preview plus balls and Gators. Gentlemen, good afternoon. I have one question to start the show. Start us off. Paul, yes. what in the world are you drinking right now? It's, it's, uh, it's like a fizz. It's a, uh, uh, it has the consistency and the, and the tint of a Mai Tai. No, the tint is... It's it looks like, like you're in Fiji right now it's enjoying a drink on the beach. It's a random flavor. It's like pomegranate. It's like there's, an orange crush. There's six different flavors. It's a little like Tangerine. Healthy, it's more healthy, tangerine color. Healthy caffeinated drink. I use the straw to stir it into water. I was telling Hutton how lucky I am that they don't have uh, lemonade over there because I'd be going crazy with the Arnold Palmers. You've kept your girlish figure because they don't have lemonade. Uh, so we avoiding the sugar. We used to uh, get a bag of candy or donuts, donuts would or cookies, and we would set them on the table in front of us in the studio, and we would have the intern keep a running count of how many times Paul put game. his hand into the Such bag a fun game. or grab a donut. And at the end of the show, we would do the over-under, and Chad and I would have a bet going over-under. Normally, it was four, five. I never caught on oh, to this game, or if I did, I didn't bet. I just no, not, no donuts. donuts. Oh, with donuts. Oh, it was, uh, it was always over that. <laughs> I mean, I would, we'd put it like seven or eight for donuts. Pieces of candy? would be in the oh. teens, 20s. Yeah, I choked on the Easily. pressure the one time we had the big contest about the, uh, the contest. five-pound Hershey bar. Not the Seinfeld contest. Really destroyed this me. different. No. I, well, I don't it was know great because, Hutton, we would, tell, we would tell our intern, Paul would get up to go to the bathroom, we'd say, now, there More. is a bag of Milky Ways in this room or whatever it was. We'd say, watch Paul not be able to stay away from that, and I want you to keep a running tally and the best thing was just the mutual eye contact every time Paul would unwrap one during the show, <laughs> and you would see our intern just put down the, the one. Check, see, but this talk, is, check it down. And and I, said, I remember throughout. the one day, Paul, I had over under 17, and they thought I was an idiot for oh, going so over. high. Oh, you, you had like 24. Over. I was over like a, with an hour left in the show. <laughs> the thing is that you guys make it like I have some shame in this. I, I don't. No, no I, shame. I'm an addict, and I eat like <laughs> a lot of chocolate. Unless, and I'm either all or nothing, right? Sometimes when I'm off the juice, as we call it, off yeah. the juice, I won't touch it. It's why you won't start meth, <laughs> right? Right. Well, I've been, curious, I've been advised but you that won't start meth, it because you're all or nothing. I've been advised by experts that my meth curiosity is not a good you idea. You mean your doctor doesn't advise it? And also, no, not Aaron my doctor, Paul. Aaron Paul. Doctor Aaron Paul. We did interview Aaron Paul of Breaking Bad. I Bell. brought it right out. He laughed as I intended for him to, and then he told me that was really not the theme of Breaking Bad. Was for me 
or a viewer to become meth curious from the show. That's not, I missed the point entirely. They did make it very delicious. It looked very delicious on, on camera. Yeah. Well, I just think, you know, if it's going to keep them coming back to this level, it, there's, it's got to be delicious, right? But David that's, Reed, that's, how, that's the takeaway you get from it. How many pounds was that bag of chocolate that you brought in here? Yeah, so I was, I, thank you for bringing that up. I, I was at Sam's and I saw, you know, bulk Halloween candy. This was a bag and for I a thought, Catholic family of 15. I thought, I thought it was a three and a half pound bag of, of chocolate. And I, I stood thought, near it. It was over there uh, near Jill, who's our guest today, and... I, I, the problem was when I stood near it. Well, I Instead th- of getting some and bringing it over here, I just camped out the over fir- there. The first thought was, oh, well, this will get us to Halloween easily. <laughs> it didn't even make it to October, thanks to Paul. Yeah, I, I got to get back on or off the wagon. I, I'm one of those people that don't know if you're on it or off it. Which one's good? Just holo- uh, that's a Seinfeld well, episode also. I can eat. Hutton knows this. Yes, Paul knows eater. this. I don't understand... I watch Paul eat chocolate, and I don't know how anyone like a could belt. consume. I'm not a. I like sweets. I'm not a overconsumption of sweets person. If you put a bunch of fried food in front of me, or just a bunch of oh, like bad like a, a meat and three barbecue <laughs> setup, I could eat all day. But if it's sweets, I'm not that way. I'm amazed. This is coming from someone who eats a ton. When I see you eat chocolate, Paul, and you really go all in. I'm honestly impressed. My thing about dessert, too, like if I have a piece of cake, as I near the end of that piece of cake, I'm always thinking, there really should be a second piece of cake. You want more cake? Yes. I never understand. Or when people eat a piece of cake like that and they go, oh, it's too rich. I I just don't understand what that means. Too rich? That's what you want in a dessert. (laughs) Like, how is it too rich? That's like saying someone's too, like Jeff Bezos is too rich. No, he's not rich. He's just you want to be enough. as rich as you At can be. At some point, you go from rich to wealthy. I, I mean, want the dessert as rich as you can get it. Or is it wealthy to rich? No, you get wealthy. You, you become wealthy, not rich. It's, is it, which comes which first, one's wealthy rich. or rich? Rich. You said you go from rich to wealthy. So you're going, you're going down, you mean? No. What's bigger, Bezos wealthy or rich? Went, he goes, what's better than rich? I said wealthy. Okay, he's so wealthy. Bezos is wealthy. Okay, so wealth. you're saying wealthy's going up. Rich to wealthy. And they, you they want call him, him owning the wealthiest Broncos? man on earth. They don't say richest. And you want him owning the Broncos. I don't care who owns the Broncos. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, well, David, just don't bring any more chocolate. And this is the other thing, my last thing on the sweets thing. I feel like my son, who has a lot of my qualities, insults me that he prefers, like, uh, uh, you know, nerds and sprees and these sorts of sweets when he could be having chocolate. I'm, I'm like, I'm, you're ruining yourself with this stuff that you think is candy no, I'm with when you could be having prime chocolate. I'm much more of a fruity guy myself. Yes, you are. The fruity uh, the fruity toots, Tootsie Rolls, those are the best things on earth. I don't know that he's got those, but we stop at a, at oh, a Walgreens. Uncle, Uncle David he, will hook him up. He goes down the totally wrong <laughs> Uncle aisle. Uncle Davey. I'm in the chocolate. Yeah, Uncle that's Dave. what I want. Uncle Davey. Uncle Dave. Uh, next thing will be meth. Hey, just say here, first one's free. The meth won't be coming from Uncle Dave. It'll be coming from Uncle Chad. <laughs> no, it'll be, coming, it'll be coming from yeah. the front door Uncle Chad. unlocked. Uncle yeah. Chad's not delivered on a single thing he's promised. I'm still waiting on that Mexican soccer jersey. Paul, my, get, my gift is, is my presence. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah that red Sox present, jersey. Get being, him one of those yellow Boston being jerseys. Being omnipresent in the lives of the young people that I can affect. That's my gift. It's How? not material things. It's not going out and buying anything for them. It's just being there for them. How long are the Red Sox going to wear these banana peeled jerseys, by the way? I thought it was like a one-day thing. I flip by the highlights, and for for like a week now, I'm like, who the hell is this team? 
It's bad. It's real bad. It looks like the the uh, wrapper for Peeps that you would get candy. Talking about fruity type candy. It looks like something like that. that I feel wearing. like it's MLB Disguise Week. Like, guess who this team is? They're wearing something unlike anything, like the complete opposite of their uniform. Your Baltimore Orioles are going to wear pink. Well, Hutton, what's really... I mean, no so, one will see it. I, 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 that's I, true. I'll be honest they here. Don't, they don't have to be I'm not paying guy. attention to baseball until the playoffs get here. This is way too long of a season. Um, well, I know you hard. guys are in the middle of a playoff race, but like, it's I just don't care about baseball right now. Well, Paul, your um, problem with the Red Sox jerseys, really, is the fact that they keep winning. They keep winning? Yeah. That's the problem. Well, the Yankees that's have the final problem. spot right now, don't they? Yeah, they got it last night because they won and, and the Blue Jays finally lost a game. But, I mean, everybody in that division is just winning constantly. It's really annoying. No, I did see where Adam Duvall was screwed out of a home run last night, Chad, on the highlights. Well, somebody ran past him, right? They thought it yeah, was but, caught and they came yeah, back. Yeah, because the guy acted like it was caught over the wall. Well, the Braves went to this. Uh, Diamondbacks are awful, just like the Orioles are awful. What you have to do when you're in a pennant chase <laughs> is defeat the awful teams and not allow them to play spoiler in any way. And much like Hutton, is fatigued by this long Major League Baseball season and is disinterested because of the start of football season. Like oh, most, so his team has like most Americans. Let's face it, Paul. Years. Like most Americans I mean, that yeah, aren't in a Major I'll League Baseball city, that aren't diehard Major I League Baseball the fans, they are out on Major League Baseball. Um, but what you have to do is beat the teams and not give them any life that are terrible. I yeah. said going Both into the series, the Braves. The Braves. I said you have to win all four. The only level of success is to go to Arizona and win all four. They're three for three. If they win today, they won all four. That's good news for the Braves. Then they get San Diego. It's going to be a little Dude, bit more Dude, if difficult. they go four for four, that's really impressive, and I'm very jealous because the Yankees are incapable of, of doing something like that right now, which disgusts me because when they won 13 in a row, I was convinced they were back, and they're, they're just not. They're just not that good, and you have to come to terms with it when your team's not that good. Hutton does it every May. I'm now doing it every September. It's an April to remember in Baltimore. Uh, it's it's a week to remember in Baltimore right now, Chad, uh, because they are going to remember what happened with the touchdown celebration. Guess who did not practice for the Ravens today? Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson. What's he got? A hip injury. From the somersault? Yes. yes. Oh, dear God. He was happy as long as he didn't fumble, he said. Harbaugh. I don't. Uh, let me reiterate what I said the moment this happened. And I didn't tweet it because I wanted to save it for this show in these airwaves. <laughs> it should have been taunting, first and foremost, if we're looking at taunting around the league. And it's also extremely dumb. And there is a line you have to draw if you're John Harbaugh. I understand being a player's coach like John Harbaugh and stating you want your guys to be themselves. That cannot be yourself for your franchise your quarterback. smart self. Yourself cannot be doing a somersault and giving yourself a hip pointer in doing so <laughs> oh. on the go-ahead touchdown with plenty – by the way, on that touchdown, plenty of time still left for Patrick Mahomes to go right down the field and win the game for Kansas City. That can't be yourself. I'm all for guys having personality, but I'm also all for the coach that's paid mightily to run the ship and to be there with their players to make sure they're doing the right thing to say, I'm all for you being yourself. This can't be yourself. Just say. This is no longer yourself. Just say, look, that's my guy, but it's a stupid play by him. We'll talk about it. He won't do it again. Oh, it's also dumb financially. He's, he's negotiating his own contract right now. But apparently, the word is, I'm sure you've read this too, he's negotiating his own contract, but he's so busy and so focused right now that he doesn't have time to negotiate, 
Which is why he should be negotiating. Oh, somebody should be that negotiating. That would be happening right now anyway. No, but somebody should be negotiating right now because the moment he suffers an injury that keeps him out, he loses value. Yeah, of course. But that goes with any player and any quarterback. Um, and no one's negotiating in the middle of a season. When's the last time a big mega contract was announced yeah, in October? Ge- generally not, but his agent that he didn't hire should have gotten it done in the last two weeks of the preseason because there were deals getting done then for lesser guys than quarterback. I mean, it, props to him. He knows he's going to make $100 million plus, and he doesn't have to give 3% to anybody. He's guaranteed that if he stays healthy. That's why I said he just, just stay healthy, and you'll get – 150 million on your next deal. Well, it's a good way to stay healthy is not to injure yourself. I know. Let I know. somebody else do it to That's you. That's my point. Like financially, it's not a great business decision to somersault into the end zone. Well, and this hopefully will Can't change. Can't help himself. He's so excited. This is also something that <laughs> that's if what he's, he, That's what he'll say, right? But no, if he's smart at all, this will be something that will change his mindset moving forward because it is easy when you're an athlete to the level of Lamar Jackson who is uh, just a, an outstanding athlete. We all know that. You get so full of yourself that you can do things like I'm this. Invincible. And then you even get to his age and you do something one time that injures you and you think, I maybe I shouldn't do that because I'm giving myself more opportunities to get hurt at that point. They're so playing, hopefully he learns from yeah, it. Hey, at least he's doing it Lions week. Right? He's not doing it Steelers week or Browns week. Just don't do it at all. I know. But don't you, get, do it you, all. you get my drift. If you can afford to miss a practice, you can do it Lions week. The NFL uh, features some very good and some very bad teams right now. We'll focus on that later in the show. Uh, A a little bit of both tonight, Thursday night football, with Houston and Carolina. uh, And with the spreads across Vegas, they're telling you something, too, uh, with what's going on on FanDuel, for instance. We'll get into that. Um, Chad, when we come back, some SEC discussion. Alabama won last week, right? Yes, they did. They won on the road in the swamp. They won on the road in the swamp. But yet everyone all of a sudden is acting like Alabama has fallen back to earth oh, and was competitive. there are now people nipping at their heels in the Southeastern Conference. One and game, Alabama won. Game. I just want to clarify that. They won the game on the road, right? One close game means they're they going to win four blowouts in a row now. Trey Wallace from OutKick joins us next on OutKick 360. First, though, Aurora Nutriscience. I have these in front of me for every show. I take these each morning. Vitamin C, glutathione, grab-and-go packs from Aurora. And you can visit vitalifescience.com for more information on how you can grab yours as well. They're a trusted partner that keeps OutKick 360 mentally sharp and healthy. Aurora delivers your supplements where you need them the most, your body. You're seeing vitalifescience.com right now on the screen. You can go there on your app right now if you're listening to uh, us in either Florence or in Knoxville or anywhere in between. You can go to their website. You type in OutKick360. It's 15% off your order for season ticket holders. Typical pills, capsules, not well absorbed. But here's Aurora. Cutting-edge nutritional absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes that ensure greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. Vitamin C, D3, glutathione, simple single-use packets, and long-term choices that you can see on the screen as well at vitalifescience.com. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360 at vitalifescience.com. Armando Salguero, NFL writer for OutKick.com, will join us in about an hour from now. Plenty of NFL discussion coming your way. OutKick 360 continues from 6th and Peabody, downtown Nashville. If you're listening in Florence, Muscle Shoals, Huntsville, Knoxville, we say hello. And if you missed a portion of the show, you can always go back any day of the week, wherever you download your podcast. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter at OutKick360. Uh, Armando is a recent hire of Outkick.com, and maybe the most recent. 
is Trey Wallace, who's covering the SEC for OutKick.com. Trey joins us now. Trey, great to have you back on the show, and great to have you with OutKick, man. How are you? Gentlemen, doing really well. Appreciate you guys having me today, and uh, love the setup down there in Nashville. So you guys are doing it the right way. Trey, your audio sounds terrific. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what acoustic yeah. setup you have there. It sounds like you're in a like a noise controlled booth that you're recording voiceovers for some Pixar it's film. It's over at Blackbird behind Studio. Us. That's great. <laughs> it, it's terrific. So good job with that. I'm at Fort Wallace, so we're good right now. The nice acoustics of the wood, I think, are helping things out. So everything's dandy, guys. Good Trey, uh, is everything great in Tuscaloosa with Alabama? I, I'm reading headlines as if you know they've been knocked off their pedestal because they actually won last week in Gainesville. What do you think of the outcome? And do you see a mortal Alabama team after Florida almost beat them? Jonathan, I, I think when you look at what Alabama has, has done – so far this season, then going to Gainesville, and, and I don't want to say letting the Gators back in that thing. I just thought, you know, when it really came down to it, the, the Gators, look, they rushed the ball all over Alabama. They held Alabama to under 100 yards rushing for the first time in, you know, in over three years. I, I look at this Alabama squad, you, you know, it, it looks like there's a little, maybe a small crack when you kind of break down what they had done. Um, against the Gators, but I think that was actually the best outcome for Nick Saban. Like when you really break this thing down and look at it, this I think Nick Saban really enjoys when his team is tested, and and you could tell that post game when he's smiling and he and he's hugging and he's giving interviews. And you know I know today has been interesting with his comments, but I think that was the best thing for the team, Jonathan, getting back watching film on Sunday, figuring out what they did wrong, and Nick Saban being able to say, hey, look, okay, if you don't play up to your potential and if this is how you're going to react when Florida or somebody else punches you in the mouth, then there's an opportunity that you're going to lose a ball game Then maybe we could be sitting home when it comes playoff time. So I, I honestly, I think internally Alabama coaches are, are loving the outcome of what happened this past weekend. And, and I don't see many cracks, but I do think if they don't figure out how to stop a, a, an offensive line like what Florida put out there in a running game, uh, I think that could come back to bite them in the rear end towards the middle of the season. Great. We're going to preview this weekend and talk Tennessee, Florida, and, and other games. But I do want to ask you about the Florida side of this in this Alabama game and, and big takeaways that I had from it, but get your perspective on it as well. I was surprised that Florida was able to do what they were able to do without who I think is their best quarterback option and Anthony Richardson available. He's going to be available against Tennessee this weekend. But when you talk about the elite and the teams outside of that elite bubble, everyone immediately goes to Alabama and Georgia, and for good reason, in the SEC. But I think that Florida's got an argument with what they showed with Emory Jones, who I do not think is their best quarterback option, and their offense being able to run for seven yards a carry against Alabama. What do you think about this Dan Mullen-led Florida team now moving forward? I, I actually like him, and, and I like him even more with Anthony at quarterback and if he's healthy um, this week, which Dan Mullen said that in all likelihood that he's going to play against Tennessee. And, and I think if if he was ready to go against Alabama, uh, um, that they actually would have played him because he brings that different dimension. Like you, I am not really sold on Emory Jones. I'm not really sold with his arm, and I'm not – you know. Leg-wise, yeah, he can scramble and get outside the pocket and make plays with his feet. 
But I think Anthony Richardson gives them a just a, a completely better opportunity when it comes to what Dan Mullen's trying to run on offense. A lot of RPOs try to spread them out a little bit. And when coverage breaks down or, you know, the defense starts, you know, sinking in on them, that gives him the opportunity to sprint down the field. He's the fastest on the football team, in, in, in my opinion, when it comes to the offensive side of the ball. And if you've got that and you and you weren't able to use it against Alabama, I would have just loved to have seen how that would have looked with him out there i feel bad for tennessee this weekend if anthony's ready to go because that brings now another dimension of this florida offense that i think is going to benefit them extremely to me when you look at this and we'll get probably maybe get into this later but georgia there's always been that time of the year where we looked at the georgia team and we thought okay this team is really really good they're not going to slip up and then what happens they slip up um, could that be this year? Could that be against Florida and Jacksonville if it comes down to it? Yeah, that could be a game that potentially decides who plays in Atlanta if Florida can continue handling their business. So right now, I like the Gators, and I like what they're doing with their rushing attack. And if they can get Anthony into the, the play calls this weekend, get him involved a little bit more uh, than they did at South Florida game, you're looking at a two-headed monster that I think actually turns into a one-headed monster by the end of the season. Will Levis did some really nice things early for Kentucky, and then they uh, didn't exactly do what they should have against Chattanooga. Uh, only four-and-a-half-point favorite against South Carolina. What do you think about the, the course that he's on and the course that he's got them on? Hey, Paul, you know, I, I, I like Will, um, but he did not have a really good performance against Chattanooga, and, and we all saw that Chattanooga was able to capitalize on a couple of turnovers there. You know, and, and look, that can be one of those games where, man, this team comes out of nowhere, blah, blah, blah. Maybe we were looking ahead and not playing our best, whatever. Chattanooga still went up there and, and had a chance to win that ball game. I think the biggest thing that stood out to me was 18 carries for Chris Rodriguez, and you're only getting, I think it was 38 yards on the ground. You're not going to beat many teams in this conference if you can only get production out of your quarterback. I look at Kentucky right now, and I wrote about this yesterday. You know, Kentucky's biggest game is coming up against South Carolina because what happens is they're kind of sandwiched in between here. You have South Carolina on the road in Columbia who's coming off a bad loss to Georgia, and then they have to turn right back around and they get to play Florida at home. And this is a Kentucky team that we thought, okay, maybe they can cause some chaos in the SEC East this year. If they play like they did against Chattanooga and you can't establish a running game against a team like the Moccasins, I find it very difficult to think that you're going to be able to do anything against Florida. You can't, you know, Paul, you can't just rely on what Will Levis is going to do with his arm or being able to scramble, which we saw, which we've seen a couple of times so far for touchdowns. They've got to be able to spread that thing out a little bit. And I think it's going to start with what they're doing in the backfield with Rodriguez. So I, I am very interested in how they come out and play against probably a, a spirited South Carolina wanting to get a win coming off the just horrible beatdown against Georgia. Trey, I'm a firm believer that point spreads tell us a lot, and I love studying them across all of football every weekend. And that Kentucky-South Carolina line really jumps out to me. A five-point favorite for Kentucky on the road at South Carolina. I'm wa I've watched these two teams. Take away the Chattanooga performance. I know it's difficult to do because they haven't played a lot of games. Kentucky should be two to three touchdowns better than South Carolina right now based on what I've seen from this Gamecocks team. 
Does that line surprise you? And what do you think about what Shane Beamer has right now at South Carolina versus what he's trying to build in recruiting? No, I mean, yeah, the line kind of threw me off. I think a lot of people forget, you know, a lot of people look at that Chattanooga game for Kentucky and then forget about what they did against Missouri and Connor Basilak the week before. So, I, yes, I agree. That, that five, five-and-a-half line in Columbia kind of threw me off a little bit. Um, I, look, Shane Beamer, he took it like a man last weekend. His post-game comments were kind of interesting and, and funny, all in the sense that saying, that, look, we're, we're not in the spot right now that we need to be. Um, and, and that's very true. Their defensive line right now is, is going to struggle. They don't have the talent up front. The offensive line part of this thing – you know, it, it, trying to keep Luke Dottie healthy um, is going to be key to me to what the Gamecocks can do if all this season. Um, and, and then it's all about their rushing attack. Right now, the biggest problem is they just don't have those monsters that you look at other schools that have. You know, other other schools in the conference, they have those one or two players that you can rely on that that you know that can go make a third and two type stop or or, or be able to get down the field and break off for 40, 50 yards. Right now, the Gamecocks are struggling with that. And if you looked at this past weekend, you know, it kind of all starts up front. I know Georgia is good. Georgia is really good in their front seven. But, man, they were in the backfield every single play against South Carolina. There was nothing Zeb Nolan was going to be able to do about it, and there was nothing Luke Doughty was going to be able to do about it. So you look at what the Gamecocks have right now, you know, they would love – to be in this game in the fourth quarter against Kentucky and, and try to get that first SEC win. But I think right now it's going to take a while for Shane Beamer. You know, you, you look around and what he's recruiting against at the moment, it, trying to build it back up to, from what Will Muschamp left it, it's going to be a tall task. I, I think he can do it because of the staff around him. And I'm not saying he's going to build them up into an SEC East juggernaut. I think he can build them back up in, okay, South Carolina can compete with you know the the Tennessees and even Tennessee's better now, but you know the the Missouris, the Kentuckys, Floridas try to be around that second spot in the East, but it's going to take some time. And I'm interested to see how Shane Beamer does that um, because if if they can't figure it out on the recruiting trail, South Carolina is not going to have much success from the Beamer era. Trey Wallace with us. He covers the SEC for Outkick. You can follow him on Twitter at Trey Wallace underscore. Ole Miss we know has a Great offense. They can put up points. Now their defense is actually getting off the field. What does that mean for the Rebels this season? Where do you see them stack up in the West? Jonathan, I was so shocked at, at the, the two-lane game. And I, I look, I wasn't shocked at maybe how many points are put up. I just thought that two-lane would kind of give them more of a fight. But two-lane's kind of been through their own stuff over the last month that I can't imagine. But, I thought that, I thought know, that delay really screwed them, the rain delay. Yeah, I did. I did too, and especially them. You know, I don't know how much people follow them, but you know, Tulane's been based out of Birmingham pretty much for the last month. They haven't been home to New Orleans, um, so I, I did think the rain delay kind of hurt them, especially the quarterback position on yeah. offense. But I, I thought Ole Miss looked good, and their defensive line is getting pressure on the quarterback. You go back and look at that Louisville game to start the season. It felt like. Ole Miss had one or two players in the backfield on every play, and they were causing disruption. And the biggest thing that we look at with Ole Miss this year is, okay, we know what they have on offense. We know what they have in Matt Corral and Lane Kiffin calling plays. Can the defense get off the field? Can the defense be the guys that the, the you know that the, that stops a third and three and gets the offense back out there and lets them get rolling again? Um, 
it, it's hard to tell because of the competition right now that they've been up against so far this season. But I, I think we're about to find out real, real quick next weekend against Alabama is how good can this defense actually be or how good they actually are. Because we know Kiffin's going to have something up his sleeve for Nick Saban that we have not seen yet when it comes to an offensive game plan. And I'm interested to see how they dial it up now on defense, especially kind of seeing what Florida did to Alabama. I don't know how many teams are going to be able to replicate that, but I'm interested to see what they can do defensively to maybe keep Bryce Young inside the pocket and and let their secondary do some work. So Ole Miss through three games has, has been a good surprise defensively now they're about to really be tested next weekend in tuscaloosa well trey briefly previewing week uh, five across the sec and, and chad that leads us to promote that we will be in tuscaloosa for that game i'll kick the tailgate uh, i'll kick the coverage and the bus tour will hit tuscaloosa for alabama Ole miss after this week's stop at vandy looking forward to that uh in free Innisfree in Tuscaloosa, uh, yeah. Where we'll be for that oh, one, wow. too. So y'all are, yeah, y'all are going to have a blast at Innisfree. Been down there a bunch of times. The home, the home of Joey Freshwater himself is where we'll be. There We're looking forward to that. Trey, there's nothing I look forward to more uh, than a good old-fashioned pissing contest between two head coaches. And that's what we've got in the Boston College-Missouri game. Uh, I love Eli Drinkwicks coming out and saying, you know, this is great that we're playing Boston College, but I'd prefer to play in a state that produces college talent. Uh, and I, I'd rather be playing a game that's a more natural rival than going to BC. And Jeff Halfley coming back and saying, I'll, I'll gladly go play them in Missouri. We'll go play them wherever they want. We want to get better each week. I love that. We want to get our players better, and we want to go play ball. That's what we want to do here at Boston College. I love the back and forth between those two in a game, Trey, that I think is a sneaky, good game between these two teams and where they are right now in their programs. Missouri better watch out, Chad. I'm just look. I know Boston College. You look at that schedule. What it was Temple, UMass. When I, I get, they're three and zero, and I understand Missouri's gone on the road to Lexington, you know, to play Kentucky. But this could be a like you just said, one of the sneakiest games of the weekend. Um, it's not like Ole Miss is favored by much. I think the line, if I'm not mistaken, is is one and a half. Yeah, it's Boston. It's a Missouri favored by one and a half at Boston College. Yep. Yeah, Missouri favored one and a half. So when you when you look at this game right now, you know, can Connor Bazelak go up there to, to the northeast? It's not like he's gonna be playing in the snow or anything along those lines. But, you know, just kind of looking at Boston College and what they've done on defense, you know, they've been able to control the line of scrimmage and and, and you know, they've also been able to get to the quarterback. You know, we saw what Kentucky did when they were there able to get after Connor Basilek. They put him in situations that he was not comfortable in. And, you know, throwing interceptions or, you know, having a lot of three and outs against Kentucky. I know late in the game that got interesting. But Eli Drinkwitz, I would just watch what you say because you don't want to go, you know, Missouri does not want to go up to Boston College and then come out of there with another loss on the road, and then they'd have two losses on the season. You don't want that this early on. That was a game that I previewed today, one of the SEC East, one of the three key games in the SEC East that stood out to me just just from a standpoint of what you're trying to do for the rest of the season. Um, Missouri's got the talent and Beattie to go up there and and, and try to run the football on Boston College, but I'm telling you, if they they don't watch out – they're going to go up there and get overconfident, and Boston College is going to pop them in the mouth, and they might send them back home with a loss. Totally agree, and Halfley is a coach to watch for some bigger jobs uh, that open up. I, I really like him. Let's get to the three biggest SEC games of the week. 
want to start with Tennessee and Florida. You're there in Knoxville, Trey. I know Josh Heupel said that the plan is not to go with two quarterbacks uh, this weekend. Does that mean this is Hendon Hooker's team to run in the swamp? And what do you think about Tennessee's matchup? A line that, surprising to me, has gone down as the week's gone on. It went from 22 at one point to now down to 18 and a half. What do you think about Tennessee and Hendon Hooker going to the swamp? You know, that one was interesting. I was even watching it on Sunday night, and, it, and some lines started it off at 22. FanDuel started it off at, at 20 and a half, and it's dipped down now to 18 and a half uh, as we sit here at this moment. I Look, Tennessee needs Joe Milton uh, at quarterback in some capacity at Florida, I think, to win that football game. Um, but I like what Hendon Hooker brings to the table when it comes to his elusiveness. He remi- and I know a lot of people have made this comparison, but he does kind of remind me of Josh Dobbs in a sense of being able to scramble out of place, get down the field, maybe pick up that extra five to six yards that you don't think were coming. Um, Passing-wise, it's difficult, man. You know, Chad, Tennessee's had struggles all year, I don't care who the quarterback is, of getting guy- hitting guys in motion, you know, getting them down the field letting them separate themselves, and then hitting them in stride. And you're not going to be able to do that against Florida. You're only going to have about five or six chances against Florida to really separate yourself, score touchdowns vertically, make Florida uncomfortable. You know, I I look at this thing, if Joe Milton's not ready to go, okay, we'll see what Hendon Hooker can do on his own with Harrison Bailey potentially as a backup. But I think Joe Milton is going to be – ready meaning if they if they need him they'll go with him if they think he's healthy enough to start then he might get the nod and start but you look at what Tennessee's trying to accomplish on the run game Cooper Mays has been out Chad um he's likely he will return this weekend I'll be interested to see how much he plays and how that high ankle sprain worked out last weekend against Tennessee Tech Cade Mays goes out there makes a big tackle on a on a sideline play, but it ends up kind of dinging himself up. So he's been in kind of rehab all week. This Tennessee offensive line is going to be key for me. You know, how does how does it work out with Cooper back at center and Jerome switching over back to the guard position? Is Cade Mays going to be 100 um, percent? And then you look at the running back situation. Tennessee will not get anything going at Florida if they do not get something out of Tyon Evans and this running game who should return tomorrow, I'm sorry, on Saturday against Florida. The problem is Jabari Small is questionable against Florida. So now we're flip-flopping. Jamari is available for one game. Tyon Evans is not. Now it's Tyon Evans and maybe Jalen Wright, you know, if, if they go that route. So we'll see about Jabari Small. But to me, it just comes down to how they're going to beat them long. And, and can they connect? How many more times, if Joe Milton is healthy, how many more times do they go to the well and say, okay, let's try to beat these guys on the deep ball? How many times do they try to connect? And, and look, Tennessee has speed at the wide receiver position. That's undeniable. But it's all about them being on the same page. And we haven't seen that this year. Last week with Hendon Hooker, when they were playing Tennessee Tech, you know, I, I, I saw a couple, you know, nine-yard, ten-yard type touchdown plays. Um, I didn't really, you know, the Jimmy Callaway ball was fantastic. Don't get me wrong. That was a great 35-yard little bomb down the sideline. But I need to see that more consistently out of Hendon Hooker to make me believe that he is the guy that can lead Tennessee for the rest of the season. But right now, as we sit here, Hendon's the guy on this Thursday. We'll see if he is the guy Saturday night in the swamp. The good thing about that is I will add about Hendon Hooker is he's been in this spot before. 
He's played in big games at Virginia Tech. I don't think playing in the swamp will really rattle him as much, but it's all about communication with the sideline and getting those plays in to his teammates. So something interesting I'm watching. Trey, got to unfortunately be about two sentences here. Does Arkansas okay. have a chance against Texas A&M? Yes, Arkansas has a chance against A&M. I think Arkansas actually goes into Dallas and beats Texas A&M this weekend. I like their running game. I like what they're doing at quarterback. I don't trust Calzada as much at A&M right now. And I don't really trust A&M's offensive line with Spiller at running back right now to carry them. We're going to find out real soon on Saturday. But I think Arkansas is undefeated heading into Athens next weekend. Given more time to study your background and your blurred background and your fine acoustics, I've concluded you're down the street and around the corner at the Ryman Auditorium. <laughs> you are actually, you're almost kind of right there, Paul. I, I am in a cabin that looks <laughs> like the Ryman Auditorium, uh, which I, I love so dearly. So, Paul, you actually hit that one on the nail. Uh, I've, I've kind of blurred it out, so you figured it out. Congratulations. Trey, welcome to OutKick, man. We're glad to have you and hey, good to have you, to have you on, on the board, show. Trey. Looking forward to doing some hey, more guys. of this. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Y'all guys have a good day, and uh, and we'll talk soon. Enjoy the uh, the weekend, Georgia Vanderbilt. Yep, we will. We appreciate you. Uh, you. By the way, you can go to outkick.com, the three SEC East teams with something to prove this weekend. Trey's column up, available right now, outkick.com. Coming up, um, there was a meeting yesterday about the college football playoff, and there was a lot of distrust, and it has nothing to do with the commissioners in the room. It has to do with the television network. That's next on Outkick 360. We are back live. In Nashville, 6th and Peabody, our location. Yeehaw beer, old smoky moonshine. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. They met yesterday. They met, they being commissioners across college football, about the college football playoff expansion. And the board delayed any vote, any expansion vote. They're going to meet next week. I believe they meet in Chicago, if I'm not mistaken, uh, next week. Um, That is correct. But Bill Hancock said that uh, any commissioner can put anything on the table in terms of models or formats for this. They were discussing things from eight teams to 12 teams. Sankey, Greg Sankey was the one who threw out the 12 team. He was the big proponent of this, um, pushing the 12 team playoff scenario. The problem with the SEC now presenting that is they pushed that in June, then Texas and Oklahoma joined the SEC in July. And now the other commissioners are taking a step back to analyze and take a look at what's going on with the SEC and ESPN and how much of the pie ESPN is going to have. Because ESPN, not, they're not just picking up the SEC contract. They have the college football playoff contract. And it is worth millions and billions over the course of this lifetime contract, which I believe expires, uh, the life of the contract expires in 2026. Uh, moving forward with ESPN. And there were people within the room, according to The Athletic, that were asking questions about the NFL model. Could you have CBS and NBC and ABC and ESPN and Fox and everyone get involved and join in on carrying these games? The answer is no. It is dried in ink. ESPN owns the rights to the college football playoff, and therefore there is a lot of distrust with the Big 12 and other and other conferences that buy into what happened to the Big 12, saying that they don't know the real motive of what ESPN is trying to put together with the SEC and if they're truly done putting things together with the Southeastern Conference. When you take money and this amount of money from someone, this is what just trips me out about this whole thing. These commissioners are right to have a level of distrust for ESPN. 
They would be right to have a level of distrust about any enormous media company spending that amount of money with individual conferences and then how that dictates how nationally college football is played, how schedules are made, how playoffs are selected, how everything is done. I'll give you just a tiny little example. We were in Gainesville without kick the tailgate this weekend. We were 35 minutes away from a walk from the stadium. Why? Because Tim Tebow and the SEC Network show were there. When that happens, Fox, who's not paying the SEC for the rights of the SEC, they're paying the Big Ten and uh, other conferences, Big 12, to carry their games. And I get it. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and cry about it. You know, ESPN's the one paying the money. They're going to make sure that we're excommunicated to Puerto Rico uh, in Gainesville, Florida, and nowhere near the stadium for that reason. And I understand that. But this is just a small example of much bigger things that an ESPN can do when they're paying that much money yeah. to the SEC or anyone else. They are absolutely influencing playoff decisions. They're absolutely influencing the hearts and minds of voters everywhere, of teams, of ADs, of coaches, of players. This has been going on for years. ESPN helped Charles Woodson beat Peyton Manning for the Heisman because ESPN had a bigger investment in the Big Ten at the time. It's a fact. People know this. It's no surprise that this is going on. The difference is the Big 12 can't find a suitor. They can't find money moving forward. So now the Big 12 is bold enough to be vocal about ESPNs, uh, the ESPNs of the world being in cahoots with conferences like the SEC. Well, this is no surprise media, to me. The alliance it's is just also now being talked about. The alliance is also very vocal in these meetings. And, yes. media, and media will call it out more now than ever. I think influence is too soft a word for what it's become now when ESPN has uh, the ties that it has with multiple sides of this thing, including the big prize, which is the college football playoff, right? And so, Hutton, you say it time and time again, money controls the whole thing. And where's the money coming from? The money's coming from primarily TV. And so the whole thing has to serve TV. And so serving TV is the purpose of the entire operation. Well, and it's, I think, any time, Paul, that you have a relationship where a school president or an athletics director or a coach or whoever is a decision maker on a campus is having to call a network for permission for things, then you've got a problem. When it's not it's too powerful. When it's not an autonomous decision made by a conference, a university, or a program to do something in everything you have to call ESP, you have to call Bristol and ask for permission first or ask what they would do in that situation, I think you create an environment that could be problematic. It's been very profitable. You know, it's helped drive this sport to new heights because of that, but I think it can also be problematic from a competitive balance standpoint. Well, I I think this is very, very interesting because we've talked a lot lately about the SEC really becoming the NCAA, right, becoming the controlling force of college football. Yep. But here we are kind of extending that conversation into – ESPN becoming the controlling force of college football. And it is ESPN's money that is the SEC's money. So if you go to the root of the money, it really starts with ABC, ESPN, not with the SEC. But keep in mind, it's not just the SEC. Yeah. 
ESPN controls the college football playoff, which they're voting on. Right. Yep. It's not just ESPN and SEC in bed together. ESPN has the it's right. Both. They have exclusive rights to the college football playoff, even if they expand past the New Year's Day Six Bowls, which, by the way, ESPN also has the rights to. All New Year's Day Six That's Bowls. That's everything. If they expand, they have the right to purchase those games first before any other network, which means ESPN controls any expansion of the college football playoff, and these commissioners and these presidents and the other conferences already don't trust ESPN, who just helped the SEC by joining the SEC in their television Let's look at it this way. What doesn't ESPN control in college football? We hit NFL headlines when we return on OutKick 360. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to OutKick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.